Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. This is your new Comics Wednesday episode for December 15th, 2021. Bit of a shorter week this week. Um, I'm super busy with the 12 days of the Comic Source as well. Hope you've been enjoying those episodes. If you're uh, not aware of what that is, basically, we release a bunch of extra episodes in the 12 days leading up to Christmas. You guys really seem to enjoy it. People have a little bit of extra time off with the holidays. A lot of people are traveling, so that gives you something to uh, to listen to beyond our, our usual content. So uh, as part of the 12 days of the comic source, we're doing 12 days of Spawnmas. So the first 12 issues of Spawn leading up to Christmas Day, where we'll work, we will cover issue 12. So basically what would normally be the first year, but of course, there were so many delays with all of Image Comics that first year, but technically a year's worth 12 issues um and continuing into the new year we'll be doing an uh, an episode focusing on an issue of spawn every day so it's a pretty big undertaking to get back to um a daily podcast we'll see how it goes um you know spawns up to like 315 ish 320 somewhere in there these days so you know there's 365 days in the year so that, that gives us a a built-in cushion to miss a few days here or there. So we'll see how that goes. But um, anyway, I've never read the entirety of Spawn. So um, with King Spawn and Gunslinger Spawn and Scorched and Todd McFarlane trying to start up this sort of Spawn universe, I thought it would be fun to uh, to read everything and get caught up. So if uh, Spawn's something you've always wondered about or something you've loved, uh, whatever the case might be, you want to check it out, definitely uh, do so. Like I said, there's a lot of other content as well for 12 Days of the Comic Source. We'll have some interviews coming for you with uh, creators talking about their creator-owned book. Some of your our favorite creators are going to come on the show and talk to us. So, yeah, it'll be a good time, just like last year. And we'll probably have some giveaways at some point, trying to get all that organized with everything else going on with the holiday and work and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, anyways, let me go ahead and dive into uh, the issues that I'm going to talk about today. Only five today. Um Almost all, well, three Marvel, one Aftershock, one Image. Uh, So we'll start with Marvel. We have the latest issue of Beyond, uh, The Amazing Spider-Man. You've heard me talk about it before, how they're doing sort of a a writer's room approach with this Beyond board. Kelly Thompson, Cody Ziegler, Saladin Ahmed, Patrick Gleason, Zeb Wells. Uh, This particular issue is is written, scripted by Saladin Ahmed, Carlos Gomez is the artist. Brian Valenza does the colors. Joe Caramagna on letters. And once again, it's Ben Riley being sent out by the Beyond Corporation to do their bidding. Uh, and in his mind, he's living up to the mantle of uh, Spider-Man with Pete's blessing while Pete's in the hospital recovering from a battle with uh, the UFOs. The only reason Ben wasn't hurt is because he has this you know, advanced Spider-Man costume that the Beyond Corporation has uh, has given him. So he teams up in this issue with Miles Morales as he heads out to Brooklyn to fight this giant monster who, for some reason, wants to destroy real estate. Uh, and a secondary mission in terms of what he's been asked to do by the Beyond Corporation is, yes, take out Rhizome, this guy's called, but also you got to convince this other spider-man to stop using the name spider-man because somehow the beyond corporation has trademarked it and so it's it's copyright infringement basically and they're, they're saying use 
tell them to use the name Stinger, right? Like that, um, or Striker. Those names tested really, really well, according to uh, the Beyond Board. But, you know, Miles is like, dude, no. Like, we're here to to be heroes and, and to keep people safe, not to worry about copyrights and all that kind of stuff. And Ben sort of agrees with them. But then when he gets back to the Beyond Corporation, they're not exactly happy that he didn't uh, fulfill all his mission. So like I've said from the beginning, this Beyond Corporation seems sort of shady. And I feel like it's only a matter of time before Ben realizes it too. I'm almost surprised it's taken him as long as he has. Maybe he's sort of enamored with all the things they're giving him, right? Like a luxury apartment. They got his girlfriend out of jail. The costume is cool. He's constantly getting upgrades and gadgets and whatnot. So interesting take, interesting take. Um, you know, the, the other part of this, and I've, I've talked about it before, I'll mention it again. Uh, the fact that it's gone weekly now and, and the problem with comics that come out twice a month and even more so with weekly, I feel it's, it's first of all, it's hard to keep up, right? That's why you have this writer's room style uh, team on it in terms of uh, who's writing the book. But then you also have uh, tons of artists, so you don't have a consistent art style. But the other part of it is it comes so fast in terms of pacing that I sort of feel like you don't get as much of a chunk of story in each particular issue. You know, maybe the writers don't necessarily feel the need to push themselves, or maybe the editors don't push them because, you know, we got another issue coming out the very next week. So don't worry about that. You know, if it doesn't fit, we'll, we'll put in the next one. And so you end up getting these issues that just don't quite feel as meaty when compared to, to monthly issues. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just reading into it. Um, I'd be curious if, if you feel that way about the, the weekly Spider-Man series right now, let me know. I'm curious if I'm the only one, uh, but all that being said, I am enjoying it more than the Nick Spencer run, which recently ended. At least it feels like it is moving as opposed to the Nick Spencer run, which felt like it was running in place a lot of times. So uh, all right, up next, another Marvel title, Hulk number two. This is from Donnie Cates and Ryan Otley with Cliff Rathburn on inks and Frank Martin on colors. Corey Petit handles the letters. When I say it's by Donnie Cates and Ryan Otley, that's what it says. Smash or not part two by Donnie Cates and Ryan Otley. It doesn't say Donnie's a writer. doesn't say Ryan is the artist, even though that's the case. But these two have been working together for a long time. So clearly Ryan has story input as well. Um, we had a big deep dive into Hulk number one. I wasn't necessarily a fan. I did appreciate the ambition and the big ideas of what Donnie and Ryan are trying to do. Um, but I also recognize just not the direction that I want Hulk to go, but you know, that's a personal thing. So in terms of, is it a technically good comic? I thought it was okay. At the same time, it felt like it was rehashing some ideas uh, you can go check out the episode where Rocky from Comic Boom and I uh, break it all down. It's on the Comic Boom YouTube channel. I also released it as a, an audio only. So go check it out if you're so inclined. Uh, so I was curious what the second issue was going to do, how I was going to feel about it. Uh, and I s- admitted as much during the, the first episode, we did that deep dive that, you know, maybe Donnie would surprise me. Maybe it would get more interesting. Maybe it would continue down the same path. And I, I thought it would suck. I mean, the whole idea of, of the fact that Banner's been able to split the Hulk psyche into three, his physical body has become a quote-unquote spaceship. Banner's in the control room. It's the second part of the psyche. And then the, the Hulk's actual rage, the psyche of the Hulk is 
in the quote unquote engine room. And that's what powers the starship. That's kind of the situation that we're in here. It's weird and wacky and out there. Hulk in space was already not something I really wanted. And again, I feel like been there, done that. We've seen him way back in the day, going to the microverse, not exactly space, but you know, close enough alien environment, what have you uh, world war Hulk, you know, the whole reason that started was them sending him off into space. So I'm like, really Hulk in space again. Um, but Donnie is trying to do things a little bit different. So again, I get, I give him credit for that. This issue, there's actually not a lot that happens, but it, and, and it's very quickly paced. It does give uh, Ryan Otley a chance to really shine in terms of his artwork, big and, and, boisterous and and just out there like very uh, it's been a while since i've looked at ryan's art and i've gotten a, a pure invincible vibe where you know most people might know his art from i certainly didn't get that vibe last issue in this issue i do big time big time invincible over the top blood and gore and action and uh, i think for the most part it works I do wish we got a little bit more forward momentum in the story, but based on what we do get, what it does allow Donnie Cates and Ryan Otley both to do is give us this incredible cliffhanger. So we saw last issue that the Hulk went through a portal. We didn't necessarily know where the portal was taking him. That's explained here. Obviously I'm not going to spoil it, but based on what happens to the Hulk, once he gets to the other side of the portal, again, it's big, it's over the top. It's, it's very Donnie Cates, uh, in, in terms of that. Um, but then there's a little bit of a mystery thrown in. Um, and just when you're not quite sure what to think, we get another kind of big cliffhanger ending that makes you go, what? So like this issue, well, a lot more than the first issue. Um, again, it just, it, it, it felt like based on the first issue, it felt like based on the marketing and how Marvel's been pushing this, this was going to be sort of a less cerebral take on the Hulk. And maybe that's what's called for after a very cerebral take on the Hulk with Al Ewing's immortal Hulk run, you know, body horror and big ideas of uh, good versus evil and whatnot. Um, but I don't know. Banner's a, a smart guy, right? Um, I, I want the Hulk book to be a little more sophisticated than just, big time action, Hulk smash, Hulk fighting aliens in space. And, you know, I want it to, I want it to matter, uh, which is part of the reason I don't like sending him off into space because then he's not interacting with the rest of the Marvel universe. I'd like him to come back and be a little more, feel like he's a little more part of the Marvel universe. Didn't get a lot of that in, in Immortal Hulk. Uh, but again, I'm, I'm not the editor. I'm not steering the ship. Um, but what's happening here is intriguing. And that's not to say that it can't circle back to being uh, a bigger part of the Marvel universe eventually. So jury's still out, but uh, even though this is a, a quick read and a bit of a slower issue in terms of how much it moves the story forward, quick read, um, there's a lot to like here. So uh, this has me very interested in, in issue three, as opposed to, I wouldn't say issue one uh, ended on a cliffhanger and it didn't have me clamoring for issue two. I will admit that when I saw issue two in, in my press previews, I was excited. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, I'm going to second issue of Hulk. Let's see what happens. You know, it's hard to can't judge on just one issue. 
I always say, you guys know, if you listen to the podcast for a long time, you always got to give a series two issues based at least two issues based on those first two, based on these first two issues, I'd say, yeah, I'm, I'm in on Hulk. Um, if, if for no other reason than Otley and Kate's gave us an, a fantastic cliffhanger here, I got to know just what the hell's going on. So, uh, so we'll see jury's still out overall on the series, but based on the first two issues, if I had to say, is the, would I recommend this? I think I would, I think I'd say, you know what, check it out. Uh, you're going to know right away. And that's how I feel it is with Donnie Kate's work. You'll know right away after reading one or two issues, whether or not his, uh, his bombastic style is for you or not. Uh, okay. Another Marvel last Marvel book uh, up next miles Morales, Spider-Man. It's one of my favorite Marvel books written by Saladin Ahmed. Michelle Bandini does the art for this particular issue. Eric Arsenega does the colors, Corey Petit on letters. This is also relatively fast paced issue. Um, one of the things that kind of stood out to me was how sort of one-sided it was uh, in terms of story and dialogue. Um, this sort of follows up on what happened in Amazing Spider-Man. I, I was just talking about how Ben Riley and Miles Morales teamed up. Uh, so Miles is talking to his buddy Genki. He's explaining how last issue he got served with the papers from the Beyond Corporation, not supposed to be using um, the name Spider-Man, they kind of put that to the side. It's a bit overwhelming. I'm not even sure what to do. Uh, you know, I can imagine Miles is a high school kid and he's like, he's like, how can I be sued? Like, yeah, it's a whole thing, but let's not worry about that. Let's focus on this, uh, this villain that, um, this other Spider-Man and I just took down in the pages of Spider-Man. Like I talked about Rhizome, um, and they find some clues with the help of Genki. Miles finds some clues um, that leads him to an old, an old foe. Um, and so it, rather than taking that foe on by himself, he actually goes and uh, gets his buddy Shift, who was the one clone that survived the mini clone wars <laughs> uh, or clone saga, I should say, that, that Miles had and says, hey, you know, you want to you want to go take this guy out with me? Uh, but that's what sort of leads to the feeling of this being one-sided. There is a lot of action and it is fast paced in terms of that, but, you know, shift can't talk. All he says is like a glorp and glorp and, you know, whatever. So it makes for a very one-sided conversation, as you can imagine, which is sort of strange. Um, it, it's not, it doesn't give miles anywhere to go. It doesn't, and uh, us as readers, it doesn't give us a lot of context, um, you know, typically in the hands of a good writer, you can use dialogue without it feeling overly expositional, um, like, and feeling fake and forced, like nobody would really talk like that. But as the characters are interacting, you can sort of glean context about their emotion and, and what's going on. And you can pull things in references from the past issues and stuff like that. We don't get any of that here. We get no, none of that or very, very little once we get into the main part of the issue where it's Glorp and, uh, and Miles Morales. So it just gave it a strange feel. Not that it's bad. I actually enjoyed this issue quite a bit, but it just, like I said, it gave it a, a strange feel. In terms of the artwork, uh, I'm not familiar with Michelle Bandini's work, um, but it's really solid. Um, there's definitely room for improvement in terms of 
the way she lays out panels on the page, it's very sort of standard. Um, but we do get quite a few action scenes and large panels. Uh, she does a great job with, with the action and chore choreographing the fights and whatnot. So overall, I was very, very impressed. And uh, there's a little bit of a, a cliffhanger ending that has me wondering what's going to come next. And uh, just reminds me that I think Saladin Ahmed is is a better writer for Miles Morales than, than Brian Debet, than Brian Bendis, the guy that created him. So um, I don't say that because I typically haven't been enjoying any of Bendis's work lately. But when you go back and look at that early Miles stuff, I think that's some of my favorite stuff of, of Bendis's that I've ever read. So, and, and I'm, I don't hate on um, the early Ultimate Spider-Man stuff either, like a lot of people do. It is very decompressed, don't get me wrong. And, and it's not perfect by any means, but I typically enjoy it. Um, but I don't know, there's something about Saladin Ahmed's take on Miles. Um, I feel like he has a better handle on his voice. Maybe it's because uh, he's not a straight white guy like Brian Michael Bendis is. So he brings uh, different life experiences. So anyway, Miles Morales Spider-Man continues to be a, a great book and uh, I am really enjoying it. Uh, all right, up next we have um, Aftershock book, My Date with Monsters, number two from writer Paul Tobin. Andy McDonald is the artist. DJ Chavez handles the colors. Taylor Esposito on letters. First issue was fantastic. Was my uh, book of the week, the week that it came out. Basically, the premise is this woman, she was a scientist. They were studying how to, you know what? I can't even remember exactly what they were studying, to be honest with you. Something about wanting to solve some medical conditions, I think is what it was. Um, maybe it was augmented reality, but anyway, um, they were examining people's dreams and in doing so they somehow sort of broke the dream world to the point where now when people dream them, when they have nightmares, whatever they are having a nightmare about can manifest itself, uh, and become real. And there are certain people who, uh, are sort of the engines to that. Um, these kids who have suffered trauma and they're the ones that if you can get them to have a good night's sleep without nightmares and, and sort of recover from their trauma, it, it doesn't affect others. Um, so everybody in, on the whole planet is forced to take these pills that uh, allow you to sleep, but prevent you from having nightmares. Because when somebody does have a nightmare, the monsters manifest, people die. It's a whole thing. So one of the main characters of the book has a daughter. She lost her husband. Uh, she was one of the scientists that, that that was working on this project where this happened. Uh, and because of the drama of losing trauma of losing uh, her husband, the daughter's trauma of losing her father, her daughter is one of these engines. Um, and the way they think that the engines, the nightmare, the people that are the nightmare engines can stop doing that, uh, stop being a an engine for the nightmares is for them to get over their trauma. So in the case of this little girl, she needs to see her mother be happy. So it's a really funky idea. And that's where the whole title, my date with monsters comes from. Her mother is going out on dates. There's a secret government facility where they're training both men and women. Cause who knows, you know, what her proclivities are. Um, to sort of learn about this woman, sort of creepy in a way, you know, cyber stalking by, uh, by proxy. Um, but yeah, they want to find the perfect match for this woman. Who's this scientist 
so she can be happy and her daughter will stop reliving the trauma of losing her father, stop being a nightmare engine. So it's crazy and it's kooky and it's out there. And the first issue was absolutely spectacular. Original idea, really fun, uh, quirky dialogue from Paul Tobin. Just absolutely loved it. Uh, at the end of the second issue, a uh, bit of a cliffhanger ending. One of the kids in the, this little girl's class falls asleep in class. He hasn't been taking his pills like he's supposed to. He manifests a monster. And uh, that's where this issue picks up. So this one didn't quite have the impact on me that the first issue did. Not to say that it's not excellent um, and humorous and fun, but um, it, it focuses a little more on on some setup now that we know kind of what the idea and the, and the world is. Um, it's a little bit of a down issue in terms of moving the narrative forward. Tobin's just kind of moving the characters around and putting them in place for uh, a big issue for issue three is, is what it feels like. So we get some more dates for the, uh, for the mother. We see a little bit more of the training for these people that are at this uh, secret training facility in Utah. Um, and we get a lot of, of context for this monster who is more than just a random nightmare uh, come to life who can kill um, seems to be maybe somewhat of a nemesis for the daughter and the mother might she have some sort of ties to them uh, that remains to be seen. So again, a little bit of a setup issue, not as impactful and fun as the first issue, but still very, very good. I still highly recommend this series. If you didn't pick up issue one and it's available, uh, grab issue two when you go to your comic shop this week and cross your fingers and hope to God they have an issue one because this series gets my highest possible recommendation. And a perfect example of the amazing stories that uh, that Aftershock is putting out. Just it's just a fantastic, uh, fantastic series. Uh, okay, next book I'm going to review is also a second issue. This one's from Image Comics. It's from writer Chip Zdarsky and Jacob Phillips. And neither one is listed as as anything um, in terms of who's the writer, who's the artist. I mean. Chip's writing it. He is an artist in his own right, but pretty sure Jacob Phillips is doing uh, most of the art and the color work and whatnot. So the whole premise of this, this character, Newburn, he is um, sort of Switzerland. He's sort of neutral territory. He works for the mob and, and not just any mob. He, he works for all the families. Uh, and, and, and that way he's supposed to be neutral. And he, investigates crimes, you know, both within a particular family amongst themselves and then interfamily issues. And he's just not a very nice guy. He, he's just not. Um, and uh, in this issue, we get some, um, some journal entries from a, a new partner he's trying to take on. And she gives us the context and helps us understand who he is, why he would want a partner. We learn about his history through some people that Emily, this uh, prospective partner, um, gets a chance to talk to. And it gives a lot of context to the story, but also raises the stakes of the story for, for Emily and for us as, uh, as readers, because Easton Newburn comes across as very much in control, very much a, a sort of a cool customer, I'll say. Um, and it's a, it's a fascinating 
premise when you think about it. It's it's basically like crime procedural, you know, think of like CSI or uh, Criminal Minds or, or, you know, any of those CBS shows that are procedurals. Um, but from the perspective of no matter what this guy finds, it, they're all bad guys. You know what I mean? Like it's a, he works for crime families um, and it gets the cooperation of the, the authorities to some extent, first of all, because some of them are paid off. But the other part of it is it keeps it keeps tensions between the families down. Right. They, they agree to sort of abide by what Newburn's findings are and whatever consequences come from that are not up to Newburn. Um, but that brings its own complexities and its own um, consequences. And that's something this prospective partner, Emily, discovers in this particular issue. And it opens up a whole can of worms in terms of like moral choices and right and wrong and whatnot. But again, Newburn, he, he's, he doesn't care. Um, in a way, it's almost like he doesn't have a conscience. He's, he's almost robotic by nature. It's like what drives him. Well, what drives him is solving the case, solving the mystery, solving the, uh, you know, whatever objective it is that he, that he has, you know, who, who started this fire, who pulled this con job, who killed this drug dealer, you know, it's, but, but why does he do it? That's, that's the thing that we're missing. But the fact that he does it with clinical detachment is interesting because that's not in my mind anyway, uh, and I, having studied psychology, uh, it's not the default sort of uh, emotional state that humans exist in. So has this guy been through trauma? Has this guy locked away his feelings? Is he, does he not use that part of his brain? Is he a psychopath? You know, is, is there a chemical imbalance in his brain? Like, like, what is it? So you have all these layers, right? You have on the surface, this crime procedural that, that can, be used um, to tell really interesting stories uh, in terms of mysteries or um, gang wars or uh, just just any anything really you know a, mur- a murder mystery an arson a kidnapping there, there's all these avenues that uh, Zdarsky and Phillips can go down but then on underneath that sort of surface procedural story there's all these emotional and philosophical and moral uh, questions and ideas that can be explored. So I can't really think of a better um, premise for Zdarsky in terms of how emotional his writing can be, but doesn't always have to be. Um, and so it, it's, th- this is working two issues in this is working on a lot of levels for me. Like after the first issue, it felt like I got that procedural feel or feel, uh, and there's a little bit of the subtext of the other stuff that I'm talking about with the feelings and, and emotions and whatnot. And clearly Newburn's an extremely intelligent guy, but the second issue brings, it really brings to the forefront, the, the ideas of who this guy is, what motivates him. Um, and, and that's a mystery, but the ideas of, of why he does what he does and the morality of it, the choices he makes, the consequences, that's all very much in our, in your face in this issue. Uh, and I, it was fantastic. So, um, it's my book of the week. thought it was absolutely just, it was so good. It was so good. And it really left me wanting more and it left me really wanting to talk to Zadarsky about this. So chips, one of the bucket list guys I have, 
just don't really have a good way of contacting him. Uh, he's not, he doesn't do shows anymore. So one of these days we'll, we'll get him on the show. But uh, anyway, that does it for the books that I'm going to talk about in detail. Like I said, a bit of a shorter episode this time. There are plenty of other great titles coming out today from Aftershock. We have the Animosity Omnibus Hardcover. Uh, we also have Heathens number two, which I somehow I missed Heathens number one. <laughs> so uh, and I still haven't read it. So I didn't get a chance to talk about Heathens number two. I think that one's by Cullen Bunn. Also from Bad Idea, we finally have Joshua Dysart back on the comic stands for the first time in like two years with Odin's Eye number one. Uh, over at Boom, Berserker number six of 12 from uh, Keanu Reeves and Matt Kent. Yep, that Keanu Reeves. There's also a Firefly holiday special. Uh, DC. And again, you can check out our DC Spotlight episode from yesterday if you want to hear about these books with spoilers. DC Spotlight always has spoilers. New Comics Wednesday does not. Uh, so from DC, Batgirls number one. We also have Batman the Imposter number three of three. Batman Urban Legends number 10, which had a really cool uh, Nightwing version of The Christmas Carol, that classic Charles Dickens story from Tinney Howard, which was really fantastic. Uh, Black Manta number four of six. Future State Gotham is up to number eight. I Am Batman from John Ridley, number four. Uh, Joker, number 10. We also had Pennyworth, number five of seven, which was really, really great. Um, Robin and Batman, number two of three. Uh, Black Label, no, not a, is that a Black Label? No, it's not. It's not a Black Label, uh, but it's from Je Jeff Lemire and Dustin Wynn. And, uh, you know, that, that title tells it all right there, Robin and Batman. It's it's Dick Grayson's earliest days as Robin told from his perspective. Uh, we also have Teen Titans Academy, number nine. Tis the season to be Freezen number one, which is DC's holiday special for this year. We didn't cover that in the spotlight because we're going to give it its own uh, individual issue for 12 Days of the Comic Store. So that'll be coming later this week, most likely. Uh, Wonder Woman, number six. We also have Titans United, number four of seven, which was amazing. And the art in that book just continues to be some of the best DC art I've seen in a long time from Jose Luis. Uh, Wonder Woman number 72 is also out this week. And there's a couple of collections I wanted to mention, uh, both written by Tom King, Rorschach, hardcover, just amazing story uh, from Jorge Fornes. And then Strange Adventures, hardcover. That's the one that uh, King did with Mitch Garrods and Evan Doc Shaner, which was also really, really interesting. Uh, over at Image, in addition to the books I talked about, there's a couple of other ones listed, but I didn't get preview digital previews for them. So I don't know if these are actually going to be in your comic shop or not. Might be one of those paper shortage issue things. Uh, so King Spawn number five is listed. Again, don't know if it's actually going to be there. Primordial number four of six is also listed, but I don't know if it's going to be there. Walking Dead Deluxe number 29 should be there, um, which is basically just a colorized version of Robert Kirkman's classic Walking Dead. Uh, over at Marvel, in addition to the books that I talked about, we have Conan the Barbarian number one facsimile edition from back in the day. Defenders number four or five from Al Ewing with art by Javier Rodriguez. Uh, Eternals is up to issue number eight. We have Kazar, Lord of the Savage Land number four. Uh, and over in the Star Wars corner, we've got uh, Star Wars The High Republic number 12 from uh, Charles Soule. Strange Academy is up to number 14. The Thing miniseries uh, number two of six. Uh, there's a Wastelanders Wolverine one-shot, which is basically an old man Logan story. Uh, X-Force number 26. And then the uh, X-Men Hellfire Gala, the red carpet collection hardcover, uh, which ends with Scarlet Witch's death. So if you're curious and wondered what that was all about, you can pick it all up in one volume there. Uh, 
And the last thing I'll mention is from uh, Valiant. We have Exo Manowar. That's up to issue number nine, which I haven't read any of that new Exo. I, I probably need to check it out, uh, but I just haven't had a chance. So uh, anyway, it's a bit of a, a smaller week, like I said. Um, don't forget about all other other content that's out there today. We're up to uh, the second day of Spawnmas, so uh, there will be uh, an episode covering the second issue of Spawn. Also got a chance to talk to some creators that I met at LA Comic Con a couple of weeks ago, uh, talking about uh, their creator-owned book called Winona Forever. So be sure and check that out as well. Uh, as always, we want to wish everybody happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Hope it's a prosperous one for everybody uh, this time of year. It's important to uh, remember friends and family. Uh, so hope you all get a chance to spend some time with them. And we appreciate your support. It's uh, easy to reflect back on the year that was as it comes to a close. And uh, I'm always very grateful that you guys are out there and, and, and listening. So uh, we appreciate the support as always. And we will talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash the comic source. Do a search for the comic source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.